Okay, you go on vacation, you watch TV shows, and you, you do all these things that are escapes from reality. Okay, so I smoke weed. If a person engages with any substance and they engage with it with an intention and a set and a setting, then you couldn't call that escapism. The most growth happens in the most humbling moment. So if you're stuck in a place of only pleasure, then there can be no springboard to the next level. There is no chance to find your purpose and to change your life and not just look for a job that pays you the type of money that you think you need in order to have the type of lifestyle that you think you want without going to your childhood wounding because every single human being went through wounding in childhood. Even if you had the best parents, Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Good morning. Good morning to you. How am I? I'm doing really good. I've had a very, very, very eventful few days. I'm saving someone the ordeal of having to go to rehab, but that basically means that like uh, uh, their recovery sort of is like on me. So it's been, it's been a lot. But it's been good. It's been good. It's been good. I know what I'm doing. It's uh, a yeah. huge responsibility. Yeah, it is a huge responsibility. So, I guess addiction is a is a topic that fascinates me. What? How how can you help somebody with addiction? So first, I guess intro, introduce yourself a little bit. All right. So, to put it into like a um, I suppose a nutshell, a profound nutshell. If I'm one person, then how can I be the subject and object of my verb? How can I verb myself anything if I'm one person? So that must mean that there's two within me. Someone that's doing the verb, the subject, and someone that's getting verbed. I love myself. I hate myself. I'm disappointed with myself. I'm proud of myself. There's got to be some sort of duality that is contained within this oneness. And that duality is literally the I, and the self. Because a lot of people are not aware of this. Um, in a relationship, there is distance between the I and the self. And that because there's no there's no connectedness, you know, there's no there's no um, yeah, no, no connectedness, no, no awareness. A person thinks that they're talking to the person when they're talking to themselves, that they're talking to the person in the mirror, but they're not. As a result of this, they're talking to their self, but not to the I. Who is it really? Essentially, it's the inner child. And And so, okay, I guess I have a keep going. And then that's the first question after this is what's the inner child? Um, So what gets formed as a result of this unawareness of self is um, this distance manifests itself, at least um, experientially, as a void. Yeah, the space, the distance between the I and the self is experienced as a void. And this isn't too complicated to think. If, if let's say, you and I were flatmates and we lived in the same flat and I was just straight up ignoring you, mm-hmm. there, there would be, like, if we lived together for... 10 years in the same place and I'm just flat out ignoring you, 
there would be this awkwardness. Yeah. There would yeah, be a closeness. Right. Yeah. And so that awkwardness, just to use this term awkwardness, inside it's this discomfort, this um, void, the void. And so this void gets filled with anything that feels good. And this is where addictions come from, from, from filling the need to fill that void. So some people get addicted to substances. Other people get addicted to um, sex. Other people get addicted to money. Other, get, other people get addicted to validation. Other people get Everyone's got something that they're addicted to. In order to heal an addiction, the void needs to be closed or at least made. The distance needs to be, be eliminated and there's got to be more closeness between the I and the self so that I can love and accept myself so let me put it to you like this imagine a human because a human like we, we've established that the human being has a duality right there's a two-ness within the self within a person because i can verb myself right a verb a verb denotes duality there can be no verb in a singularity right i'm not exactly following that like an animal could eat um like lick its paws like that's certain... still that's still a verb. So the animal has a pause. But if you think of a singularity, so to use, let's say, language that you might understand, let's say the original singularity would be there was there was nothing else besides oneness. There's just complete oneness. So a verb, in order for there to be a verb, there has to be, which is a, a verb is a doing word. There's got to be a subject that's engaging in the verb. And then there's the object that's getting verbed. Right. That means that if I can verb myself that must mean that there's the subject and an object within myself i'm within me i am both the subject and the object of my life so i yes if you want to there's an i that's just like me this person this body that you see right but, but if i'm talking to myself like again everyone's got a voice that talks to themselves who's doing the talking who's doing the listening i trip out about that like too often so, like i sit in the mirror so, and, and i'm talking out loud to myself and sometimes I'm saying you, and sometimes I'm saying me, and sometimes I'm saying I, and sometimes like like, and then sometimes there's this third voice that almost seems to be like intermediating between the two, like like it's the third person, or. So, that's the relationship between with, within me. So if you imagine, um, well, I'll touch on now the inner child. Human being is like a lantern. And the lantern has basically got one function, and that is to give light. The lantern has got two parts to it. It's got a part that's super, super, super delicate, which is where the light comes from. And it's got a part that's really durable that allows the, the delicate part to shine its light in an uninterrupted way. So there's like a, uh, a cooperation, a synergy. So the adult would be the glass of, of the lantern. But the light comes from the flame, which is super delicate. And that's how, that's how everyone is. We've got these shells that facilitate the light that comes out. But anyone that's ever done any type of self-development or read books on success, the most integral part of success is fun. Why? Because a child has to have fun. And everyone's got a child that doesn't ever, ever grow up. I remember telling this once to a 20-year-old, uh, uh, 
And uh, she went, what? No way. It's like the thoughts that, because, I mean, everyone feels younger than they are, you know? Everyone, nobody actually feels the age that they are. You know, I'm 43 today, and I feel I feel about 28, my body, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not 28. And it's like that, everyone, no one feels, no one feels their age. So inside there's this inner child that doesn't ever, ever grow up. And why is that? Because to get a bit spiritual, the way the soul has manifested experientially in the mind is, is as a child. Why a child? Because of a concept called innocence. And not innocence as in naivety, but innocence as in purity, not, not tainted. Do they go hand in hand? Are they like that? Because this child seems to have both in the uh, both purity and the ignorance. Um, I wouldn't use the word ignorance because ignorance, ignorance, um, naivety, sort of like naivety, kind of, yeah, naivety, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just this innocence, this uh, purity, this like you know, like just. Just wanna, just wanna do good. Just wanna, just wanna be good. Just wanna like make happy. Um, and uh, there's a there's a there's a very well known psychologist called uh, Jordan Peterson, and uh, I remember him saying that life is tragic. Life is life is essentially a tragedy, and a lot a lot of the healing work that I do revolves around inner child work because essentially. That's all there is, you know. Whenever whenever a person gets hurt, it's not really the it's not really the adult that's getting hurt, you know. The adult could be insulted, but the hurt, which is under every insult, under every anger, under every that the hurt, is that of a child. And it's also why adults can behave very immaturely and very childishly because we're just shells with a child inside. And we tack on external layers to, I guess, make us, the external shell is not just the physical body. There's levels, layers, I guess, of our personality and our character and our behaviors. Very much that, so. Very much so. And the self-image. Very, yeah. very much so. Very much so. Because remember that the lantern will not give off light if it has no durable exterior. If it's just the flame, you know, try, try lighting a match in the wind. It's impossible. So there has to be there has to be something that that um, that interacts with the world, that's able to get up in the morning, go you know do exercise, go to work, you know drive a car, have responsibility, have sharp thinking, um, be able to make big decisions, create a company, run a business, deal with stress, deal with anxiety, show leadership, have, have you know there's got to be this world is. This world is, is is built for adults. And would you say that we have a more difficult time being children or being adults? Because it sounds for oh, me, I, an I excellent I, question. Yeah, I, I can't place my finger on myself. Which one's harder? That's an excellent. That's an excellent, excellent question. That's an excellent question. So, while while principles guide us through life, nothing is absolute. I will say this, in order to become a more mature adult, you have to get in touch with your inner child. You've got to have a place where you can get to be silly and have fun and just like let the child have fun because actually a lot of, a lot of children in their own childhood um, 
sorry, a lot of adults in their childhood actually never got to like express themselves as children. They actually like, I mean, many did, but there was a lot, of, a lot that weren't. They were too highly disciplined, or they were they were held back. And those, there are a lot of people that didn't get to experience the type of childhood that they wanted. And so, as a, um, a, in a healing process, in order to become a more mature adult, it's really important to get in touch with the inner child and to have fun and to find a place where they can be silly and uh, whatever, you know? So addiction, what does a substance do? Like how, why, how does a substance help avoid, like whatever that, right, you said, it could be anger, it could be a drug, it could be heroin, it could be attention. How does, what does that do to fill the void between? Wouldn't call, I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't call anger an addiction. It could be, it could be being right would be the addiction, and then that leads to anger. It could be control, could be the addiction, and that leads to anger. So I wouldn't call anger specifically the addiction, right? I don't think, it, uh, so why why do people get addicted? Because they, they want to feel good. The void does not feel good. You know, when you've got a headache, you don't you don't want to sit with it. You know, people will take uh, a paracetamol or an Advil, whatever it is. We're, yeah. we're, designed, we're designed to move towards pleasure and away from pain. We're designed. You know, so the, to use Jews that we're speaking about addiction, to put this, it's called a meta program. It's like a software of the mind to put a, to put this meta program into an actual uh, example, because we move away from pain and move towards pleasure, just like most most things, like most animals move towards light and away from the darkness. Plants move towards light. It's called photosynthesis. And human beings the same thing. We move towards pleasure and away from pain. So if you've got an addict that's addicted to a certain substance, as long as they perceive the pleasure in the substance, the high, then they'll move towards it no matter what, at the, at the expense of many, 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 many things. And it's only when the addict is able to change their perception that when they see the substance, it reminds them of what's going on in their life and all the pain, and then they realize that I actually cannot stop my movement towards the substance, that's usually when they ask for help. Sometimes they don't, sometimes an, an, an intervention needs to be made. Right. But essentially, if for an intervention to work, the person's got to realize, because an intervention is made where um, loved ones come and they, and they express the impact of the usage on their life. And the person looks and, looks and says like, weighs it up and says like, wow, like all of this pain versus this little, this little pleasure, like, and they say, okay, fine. If the help is right here and I don't have to do it myself, and from here it's like straight to wherever, then a person usually says that, I mean, that's a successful intervention. And not to say that they all last because coming off addictions, it's not just about staying away from the substance. It's about the void. But a lot of people don't know this. Yeah. Do you, this, the 12-step program it seems to incorporate that into its the multiple selves that are, I guess, the Jungian process or the Freudian process of integrating the and putting into order the broken or fragmented parts of the self. And I guess I'm not too familiar with the 12 steps, but but I've always, interestingly enough, I've always viewed myself as, I'm like, I'm not an addict. I'm not an addict of anything. I was always how, and then I realized, no, that's not true. I'm just an escape artist. And I can use anything and everything in order to escape, whether it's a good conversation, a book, a movie, pornography, a drug, like 
attention, anger, like, and I do think I might be addicted to anger. Like there's some mass amounts of pleasure that just gets flooded. Like when, when like right at the peak of a, of a, a rage, like I, maybe rage would be the thing I'm addicted to a little more than anger, but, um, I, I just, and I essentially looked at, from a young age, I was smoking weed at like 14 years old. And everybody used to tell me, and my parents, like, you can't smoke weed, you can't smoke weed, you're just escaping from reality, you have all these problems, and you're just escaping from them, and they're still there, and you're not dealing with them, which is a very ignorant or naive view of what weed is, but I was smart enough or logical enough to think that, like, okay, you go on vacation, you watch TV shows, and you go to the beach, and you hit the gym, you do all these things that are escapes from reality, they alleviate yourself and I okay so I smoke weed and I I also don't think I'm running away from anything right I'm I'm a happy kid what problems do I have I still work out I still do well in school etc or that's not true in high school I did not do well in school but like we're all escaping so you chose that I chose this why what makes one escape a healthy one or I guess that already answers it like uh what makes it like the different tools we use in order to alleviate some of the suffering of life whether it's looking at a beautiful painting and going to a museum as one level or or shooting up heroin like to what what makes it a something you want to get away from versus something that you have to learn how to incorporate into your life so first of all just want to touch on a few points person gets addicted to something that feels good i don't know if i'm not i'm not saying you know yourself better than, than i know you but i um, it would be difficult for me to say, yes, a person is addicted to anger or rage because anger or rage stems from, um, from the ego when the ego perceives that I have not received the treatment or respect that I feel that I deserve. So it would be, it would be difficult for me to say like, yes, I, I agree that a person can be addicted to anger or rage. A person could be stuck in a modality or a thinking uh, paradigm where anger or rage is the, or at least it's become the, the default response. So I, I would call that more a habit than an addiction because an addiction, a person will go out of their way to acquire or to, or to experience. So just in my, in my opinion, again, I'm not, you know you better than, than, than I know you. I wouldn't say that anger or rage is an addiction. I would say that it's a habit, the same as, let's say, biting nails. Okay. Because okay? a person that bites nails, they can't just suddenly stop. There's something else there. There's, there's yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's with that. And then with regards to um, escapism or uh, like what makes the one different than the other one, when a person smokes cannabis and they enjoy it, it's instant. Just like alcohol is instant. The feeling of feeling good is instant. Now, life is actually not just about feeling good. In fact, I would say exactly the opposite is that the most growth happens in the most humbling moments. And, and, and humbling, what gets humbled? The ego, the need to be right. So as long as I am right all the time, where's my humility? Where's my learning? 
if I'm the one that's always doing the teaching, I'm the one that's always, always right. If I'm the one that always has to be right, then there's no, the, the, there'd be no tough lessons. And if there were, let's say, a pain, a painful experience or something that I didn't like, and I chose to get angry or to respond with rage, then nothing's going to change. Besides maybe like a relationship getting burnt or like uh, 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 walls going up and less closeness and less connectivity, no good can come out of rage, right? In fact, there's often a lot of shame and regret. Now, not to say that that's not common for other things, you know, um, but the reason that smoking marijuana would be, would be called escapism is because it's not done in a conscious way. It's not done in, let's say, a ceremonial way. It's not done with, let's say, a, uh, um, an intentional approach. Like, for instance, when a person goes to gym, they don't just go to the gym. They put on specific clothes. They put on specific shoes. They may prepare supplements. They may have a, a working routine. Most people do. A workout program, long-term goals. Playlist. You got it. Yeah. It's a ritual. It's a ritual. It's a ceremony. If a person engages with any substance that takes them out of sobriety and they engage with it with a, an intention and a set and a setting, then you couldn't call that escapism, at least not downright outright. But if a person just, wherever they are, they pull out a joint or a vape or a bong or whatever, whatever, the, whatever the, the utensil is, the smoking mechanism, and they're just like, I need to smoke this because I'm feeling down, angry, irritable, sad, scared, whatever it is, whatever the, 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 the uncomfortable emotion is, and now I want to do that, I want, I want this because I don't want to be in this, then that would be the absolute definition of escapism. Because I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with this. Now, again, if the person before just before they smoke, and if anyone who's listening here, just let you know, I'm not anti marijuana. I'm not anti cannabis. Um, I spent uh, many years dealing with uh, what are called teacher plants, and uh, and uh, um, I, I, there were some years that I worked with a shaman. So I'm very um, au fait and even quite well versed in um, the world of non-sobriety, right? So I'm not anti it, and I'm not telling anyone to stop smoking. What I am saying is, if you start to treat your joints or your pipe or whatever it is that you smoke from, if you start to treat it like a, like, um, like a therapist and not just like a cigarette or, a, or um, a, just something that you do, and you just put an intention, you just put an intention, and let the intention not be to, to numb a pain or to take away my anger or to alleviate my sadness or my irritability, right? But there's an intention of, um, I, want to gain, I want to gain clarity about why this happened. I want to gain clarity how I could have been wrong. Because remember, learning only happens in a, in a, in a place of, of humbleness, of humility. So what, what I'm trying to say is that if a, if a person is engaging in in uh, marijuana use of cannabis in this very widespread, I would say just ask, like have an intention because the intention guides everything. 
have an intention of give me some clarity of where I could have been wrong. Give me an intent. Show me how I, if I lost my temper or if I did this, if I did that, show me where I need to correct myself. Because if a person thinks that everyone else is wrong, and even if the person is right and that someone else is, is, is wrong, the, 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 the clarity could be, okay, I need to stop engaging with this person in a relationship. This person is bad for me. And I need to stop engaging in this relationship. And I need to like take care of myself, elevate my self-value just a little bit, enough to say, okay, I don't need this person in my life. And that could be the clarity. But what, I, what, turns, what, what turns medicine into medicine and not a drug yeah, is if there's, if the, I mean, if a facilitator is required and a facilitator, but otherwise set setting an intention. The framework or the question that I would ask myself to set an intention is, is am I escaping from reality or am I enhancing my reality? And, some, yeah. and it's often a really fine line between the two and it's hard to... Like pinpoint, am I am I escaping, or is it something I'm running away from, or is it something I'm opening myself up to? So for me, cannabis is like I took a, a microdose hit of my vape before I started this conversation. There's a certain patience and openness and another perspective, a little bit more, a little bit more self conscious. Like not in a if, I, if it's the wrong setting, that self consciousness and I'm anxious could be really, really heavy and scary. Which is also, in my experience, I got. Right, like you said, the the, mo the most there is to gain from life the, it is where there's suffering or there's an anxiety or a stress. When we, so sometimes when I smoke weed and it's a little too much, or I'm in the wrong setting, uh, and I didn't take I didn't take into account who th uh, the people around me would be or or what else I had to do that day. It wasn't necessarily so conscious, and there's a certain hyper self consciousness I get. Like with my wife, like I'm high and I'm like. She's like, you're like, where, who, who am I? Where am I? And what should I be doing? Those are like the three thoughts that overwhelm me um, when I get overwhelmed when I smoke. And also with psychedelics, the greatest parts of them are often the uh, parts that have scared me the most or been the most like traumatizing almost. Where and I and I, it goes back to even my anger. Like there's a certain that being on the cusp, on the edge of something where whether it's the edge of emotional experience or the edge of uh, visual experience or psychological experience, like when things are exciting hot, uh, and chaotic and mad, there's a, I'm drawn towards it. And even when things start to go well, it's almost like, and I start to get clarity and I start to have certainty. There's that part of my brain's like, why do you have clarity? Why do you have certainty? Like, and like that skepticism kicks in and then it brings me back through that loop and I'd like to believe I'm looping in a like a, the spirals going in a positive direction, but it is always this spiral, and I always seem to self-inflict that spiral. So I, I hate to, to 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 burst your bubble, yeah, but a loop is the antithesis of progression. Not if you if it's a spring, like imagine a spring, right? Like the the Jews are the ones who view the calendar as cyclical, which is this. The spiral as opposed to linear, and which is like I'm um, coming back, right? Like I come back to Rosh Hashanah every single year. I'm at the same like location uh, in the spiral, but at a higher level of analysis. So but sometimes it's but, but that's intentional and planned. If you find yourself asking the same questions, and you find yourself in the same position, and you find yourself 
doing the same things over and over again, that's not a plan. That's a loop. That's a pattern. And I'm a breakthrough coach. I help mm -hmm. people break through loops and patterns. Okay. So a spiral, yeah, it's just like working out. You're, you're not in a loop. You're working according to a pattern. You're working according to a program. There's, there is a progression through repetition. But if you're in a loop or in a cycle or in a pattern, then that's it. It's Groundhog Day, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a few things that you can think about. Number one, a teacher by definition does what? Tells you stuff that you, that you don't know. Okay. Okay. So that, that if it's not, if, if, unless you're getting information that you didn't know before, you're not growing in terms of education. Okay. That's number one. Number two, no pain, no gain. So if you're stuck in a place of only pleasure, then there can be no springboard to the next level because at best you're on a plateau in my language there can be no expansion without a contraction okay if i give you a spring and i say make this work you have to contract it and for a human being a contraction is pain expansion for a human being is pleasurable. So if a person is, 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 is only going for pleasures in life and avoiding pains, and when they're in a pain, they do anything to alleviate the pain, then that would be missing the point. The meta program, the way that we're designed, the way that sort of everything is designed is that is to move away from darkness towards light. Okay, one of those um, permeations of darkness and light is pleasure, is, is, is pain and pleasure, okay? Pain being darkness and pleasure being light. So just like, just like in photosynthesis, most plants move towards the light, right? Most insects move towards fire, yeah? Moths towards a, a, a bulb. A human being moves from pleasure to pain and also with regards to shadow work, a person always sees themselves in their best light and sort of represses and denies their own darkness. So to use an example of moving away from pain towards pleasure is that if a person is walking around in a really, really cold place, like a blizzard, you know, in the, in the, in the North Pole or whatever, or in Alaska, I imagine it's quite cold there. It's a, they know that it's cold because they're, they're, in, they're in pain. It's, it's, it's not pleasant on the body. And then they see a bonfire. So they're going to move towards the bonfire because that's moving towards a pleasure and away from a pain. But if they get too close to the fire, and now they're burning, now they have to move away from the fire because that's the pain. And then the cold represents a relief from the pain, which is a pleasure. So we're designed like this, okay? Now, the fact that we're designed like this doesn't mean that we have to keep it like that because as you grow in life, you realize that there are certain pleasures that are not sustainable and they lead to sustainable pains, right? Like being right, and being angry and then feeling regretful afterwards, or let's say um, being addicted to sex and then feeling dirty afterwards. Yeah. But then there's also uh, like getting drunk and then having the, the hangover. But then there's certain pains that are healthy that lead to sustainable pleasures, like going to gym. You know, people go and they and they rip themselves to shreds with a, you know, they 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 work out and it's painful, but then they get full of endorphins. 
they, they, have a, they have muscular growth and they look good and they feel good. Same thing as like building a business. Building a business requires a lot of sacrifice, which is, which is painful, but then you get to enjoy the income and the life that you want and that's, and that's pleasurable. So the fact that we, the fact that we are designed to move, to, pleasure, to, to move towards pleasure and away from pain, it's still subject to perception because there are unhealthy pleasures that lead to sustainable pains and there are healthy pains that lead to sustainable pleasures. So it's still a subject of, of perception. If a person wants to um, progress through life, if a person's stuck in a loop, it's because if life was a, a course, an educational course, let's say school, you, you go through stations or grades or standards, you know? And if you're stuck at a certain standard, it's because you haven't learned the lesson. Now, there's this uh, concept called self-discovery, which if you think about it, is a really weird concept. It's twisted. It's, uh, it's, it's actually, the craziest. It's, not, it's, it's, it's it, profound. It's not twisted. It's not meaning twisted. It, it, twists, it twists your minds up when you really break it's it down that you, that you can bender. discover yourself. Uh, that no, that goes, you can. You have to. You have to. Because the ego is not made of truth. The ego is made of lusts and desires, and it defines itself by the attainment of stuff. That's what the ego, that's how the ego defines itself. That's its modality. That's its, 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 its modus operandi, its MO. If I have this, then I will be that. If I have a big house, then I will be whatever I think people with big houses are or whatever I think you think that I'll be when I have a big house. If I have a Ferrari, then I will be something. If I've got three Ferraris, then I'll be three times that. And that's how the ego works. It's the attainment of stuff. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to attain stuff. We're here to connect and we're here to express. I, that's I, it. Yeah. That's what, the, those are the building blocks of, of fulfillment, right? And fulfillment, yeah, think about the word, fulfilling, filling something, yeah? Filling until it's full. What? What? The void. Yeah? And is, is life, is, like, is the purpose of life, could one say that the purpose of life is filling the void with the right stuff, I, I guess, is, I don't, I don't know what words to put to it, but filling the void, like, this is actually something I wrote down here. Um, I think I was listening to Joey Rosenfeld, who's an addiction therapist and incredible speaker and Talmud Chacham. Um, and, and it was just something inspired by him. He said, I'm, and I, you know, I'll write, I'll read it. No matter what you believe, you believe something, you value something, you subjugate yourself to something or someone. Is it like Jordan Peterson always stresses, you have a value structure. You don't choose it. Out, our, our perception is dependent on certain things catching our att attention. What gets our attention? Um, we all have our gods, um, be them self-indulgence, asceticism, family, sport. Um, there's always something that I'm subjugating myself to and putting myself under that I'm pursuing. And people think, what's the opposite of pain? Pleasure, right? That's how we're putting it. He's like, the opposite of pain is not pleasure. The opposite of pain is comfort. It's really the absence of pain that people are pursuing. So they think happiness or I want the big house, the money, the cars. What they really want is 
is pleasure, but the counterfeit version of pleasure is is really just a comforting structure, a, mo- a temporary um, alleviation of your suffering, as opposed to subjugating yourself to God, the highest aim, the highest good, whatever you're going to put God, the the ideal, the your truth, whatever you're putting at the top of your hierarchy, and you're dedicating your life to that, that may as well be the thing you're subjugating yourself to, as opposed to these cheaper counterfeit versions. So what you said is true. The opposite of pain is indeed comfort. And that's why there is this thing called a comfort zone. And there is no growth in a comfort zone. And that brings us back to no pain, no gain, or gain would be growth. Right. So all everything that you want, they say, is is is, is outside of your comfort zone. So I completely agree with that. To answer your question that you asked before, is the purpose of life filling the void? I wouldn't put it like that. I would say the purpose of life is fulfillment. Right. Fulfillment is when a person does something very specific to them that's got to do with their childhood wounding. And I'll explain why. And it's always to give doing to someone else. So it's an act of service. And this act of service, specific act of service that is stems or is connected intimately and intrinsically to childhood wounding. When a person does that act, they feel a sense that's not happiness. Because in order to experience happiness, a person just has to experience or perceive, sorry, gain, whether it's to me or to someone that I care about, vicarious gain, because that's if I, if you, if, if I really love you and you have gained in some way, then I experience joy for your gain because it's like that I've gained something. Someone close to me has gained and therefore I feel happy, right? Uh, parents would call that nachas. And why is it, why is this act of service that is connected to the childhood wounding specifically, why is that so key? That is because when a person does something repeatedly, they get bored. This is not new. You do something over and over and over and over again, at some point you get bored and you look for something else. That's just how the mind works. But your purpose, your purpose was created and shaped by your childhood wounding. And it was that childhood wounding that did something neurologically in your psyche, yeah? Like neurological is brain, but I mean, in your psyche, something happened, something got, let's call call it wired to use like, you know, simple terms, that, that when you do that one thing specifically, for some reason, you don't get bored. You can just do it over and over and over again, and it get and, and it's as enthralling and as fulfilling and as exciting as the first time you did it. And that's what fulfillment is. Now you cannot you cannot achieve that unless you look within to the inner child who is wounded and is full of pain, and unless you know how to then the meta program of moving from pain from pain away from pain to pleasure that kicks in and a person will do anything not to experience the pain and therefore facilitation and a framework is crucial without it you got no choice i mean not sure you got no chance there is no chance of finding the pain the right pain knowing what to do with it in order for you to have a breakthrough and for you to find your purpose and to change your life and not just look for a job that pays you the type of money that you think you need in order to have the type of lifestyle that you think you want. You cannot achieve your purpose in life without going to your childhood wounding 
because that was that was the imprint. And I explain what I mean by imprint. For people that are older than 20, they would remember Kodak films, you know, or uh, what was the other one? Kodak, uh, uh, Fuji, yeah, like these the films. So what happens is you've got what's called a negative film. And this negative film is clear. It gets put into the camera. The, the, the photographer looks at a certain picture that they want to capture. And then there's an exposure of light. And then that exposure of light makes an imprint on the negative film. And it's imprinted. And then in order to turn, to turn that negative into a positive, they have to go to a dark room, which is essentially, this. I'm explaining in metaphors what shadow work is all about. Yeah, Shadow work is a dark room. And as long as you've got that negative, even if the positive gets damaged, you can go back to the, to the, the dark room and redevelop the negative because that's what matters. That's where the imprint is. So every single human being went through wounding in childhood. Even if you had the best parents, the mind will make sure that you have a negative imprint because the negative comes before the positive. The contraction comes before the expansion. To use Bible terms, Eve, the night, the moon comes before morning, the day, right? It says in the Bible, first there was evening, then there was morning, and all that is called one day. To use the example of an archer, the archer wants the arrow to go forward, but he doesn't input the forward motion. In fact, he does the polar. He inputs a negative force, the right amount of negative force to match the type of expansion or distance that he wants to achieve. And when there's enough of that negative force that's built up, there's a point of release. And then the expansion happens. But nature, the laws, take care of the expansion of the forward, of the forward motion. The archer that's actually doing the work, putting in the value, applying the negative, he pulls it backwards. Now, negative does not mean bad, and positive does not mean good. Okay, Negative means, if you want to call it in human terms, that which I don't want. And positive means that which I do want. So the archer wants the arrow to go forward, but he can't make it go forward. So he has to implement a negative. So imagine this, imagine just to drive this point home, imagine you had 10 archers with different bows, different size bows, different size arrows, and each one stood there you know, with the, with the arrow back with a negative force there, and then a, a ballistic expert came along and he would be able to tell you how far each arrow will fly out of the bow just based on the size of the bow and the type of negative force that is there. Yeah? It's the yeah. same thing with the building. The building, the height of the building would be the expansion. And an architect that really, really, really knows his stuff, if he's walking and he longs and, he, and he, walking along a, a building site and he sees the, the depth of the foundations, he can tell you how high the building is meant to be because the negative equals the positive. And just to drive the negative does not mean bad and positive does not mean good. If that was the case, batteries would not be sold with a bad part. Batteries have a negative part to it. If, bad, if, bad, if negative was bad, the manufacturer would definitely cut off the bad part and sell you only the good part. All positivity. Right? Yes, all positivity, which is which, which like in, in my world is called spiritual bypassing. Yeah, in order to have a breakthrough, you can't suppress the negative, you have to integrate it. So, that, so again, this is just that negative does not mean bad and positive does not mean good. What, how did it turn? 
How did it turn into, into conversational, in conversational language? How did it turn that negative is bad and positive is good? I had a negative experience. I had a positive experience. It's that which I want. Remember, the archer wants the, the, the arrow to go forward. That's positive. But he, he makes it go in the direction that he doesn't want. Negative. Yeah? So that's how negative in conversational language turned into bad and positive into good. It just means I had the experience that I wanted or I had the experience that I didn't want. That's how it got warped into, into good and bad. But it does not mean good and bad. Going back to like the, the darkness, it seems like we're in gullus, right? We're in, the, we're in what's referred to as the darkness. And all, uh, most of history, other than a few hundred years in, in Bayes Rishon, and not even all of it, we were, we were like we've been in Gullus to a degree. Even the Second Temple, we've been in exile, and exile is not just a logistical place. Um, it's, it's not geographical. It's, it's obviously much more than that, because even in Eretz Yisrael, we had Gullus Yavon, which was we were in Eretz Yisrael, we were in the land of Israel, and... Right, and that was obviously the darkest era where it was so dark. And the way I understand this is like in it, it in the darkness, it, the ability to make distinctions between things is that much more difficult. And yeah. what the what the Torah is essentially is this tool. Um, and what Torah Shabal Peh is even more uh, the oral Torah, the oral law. What that is even more particularly is is the mechanism, the tool the light that you get to bring into the darkness and illuminate it. And every, every explorer, everybody wants to go into the dark cave, but they make sure to go in with their, their torch. And another uh, analogy Jordan Peterson used that I really like, and it's not his analogy, I just learned it from him, is the idea of a field, right? You have a field in the in middle of a forest. What's a field? It's a, it's a, a clearly demarked area of land, right? As opposed to just shrubbery or forest why is it but there's also a feel like the field of psychology or the field of sociology or the field of um, biblical criticism whatever the field is it's a defined area where we want to be where like or where, where we really want to be like in the center of the field that's where the bonfire is that's the safest place in the field that's when you're too close to the fire where we really want to be is at the borders of the field one foot in the field and one foot out of the field the problem, expanding it. expanding it, just pushing its boundaries. The problem happens every once in a while, like with science, you have the field of science, you have somebody who just jumps out of the field into the middle of the wilderness, and we call them a pseudoscientist, and we no longer associate them with part of our field. So there's this fine, like, you don't want to go too far out, but my theory is on occasion, there's people who go too far out, and they clearly make a muck of whatever the mission they set out to do us who were in the field, we learned so much from them and they've almost like carved out, like maybe there's space um, visually, like you have the field and then you have more forest and then there's like another little field a uh, hundred meters out that has been cleared out and our job is to almost connect our field and not. So like even people like, uh, whether it's Shabtai Tzvi or it's the Tzedukim or it's uh, the Moshe Mendelssohn, um, the start of the reform movement, which paved way for modern orthodoxy and paved way for the modern Jew and paved way for all the translations and at the Steinsaltz by making all these mistakes that were horrendous and sacrilegious and destructive to the field, whether I mean, switch any field you're talking about, 
like there's almost a tremendous amount of Hakar Satov that we owe to them for making those mistakes. Um, and like in the grand picture of things, it's like a, an older sibling who paves the way for you. Like they, yeah, they're, they might be depressed, sad, and an addict. And, but they saved your ass when it comes to your parents having to deal with a difficult kid. And that's where the most interesting, most, most powerful, most profound um, elements of life are. And you're just missing out. Like it's, most of us I'd like to be, we'd much prefer to have like a baseline of, of happiness or comfort level of like a 60 and like sometimes bump up to a 70 and sometimes go down to a 50 on my overall well-being level and avoid what has to happen. If you would like to experience a hundred, you have to be willing to go down to a zero. And I was with my analogy for what the problem we did is weed almost like stunts the variation or alcohol, like stunts like the the limits, like it stunts the pain receptors on like a physical level. And as soon as you block the pain receptors, you're blocking the equivalent pleasure receptors at the same time. So yes, you're safe. You won't go in, you won't hit zero, right? Bitcoin won't go to zero, but it also might not go up to infinity, whatever. Um, so yeah, this openness to pain, but also like the Rambam, for instance, says suffering will come your way, but do not go looking for it, right? Like that's one thing that's guaranteed. So this self-inflicted like almost like the David Goggins, like, oh, I'm going to run 42 miles, even though my knees are broken and I, I'm not gonna, like, and I'm breaking all my ligaments. I'm going to do it anyways, because yeah, that's if, I can, if I can put myself through the pain, I can put myself through anything. So that's it's almost, yeah. yeah, it's like, so what do you think about cold therapy or hot therapy? Certain things where we expose ourselves to really uncomfortable situations and it's effect on like, is that, yeah. What do you think about people who do that? Or that First approach? of all, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that. I'm just going to tell you about uh, just like a, a practical example of like David Goggins' philosophy. And I actually happen to like his, his mentality. Yeah. There's a lot of people that need that like um, hardcore, full on, in your face. There's a lot of people that need that wake up. Right. Then the person reaches a level of refinement where it's just, it's just, it's a, it becomes vulgar. Okay, that's just my opinion, uh, and 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 I'm I'm actually I've referred certain people to David Goggins because some people need that. Some people are so far gone that they actually need someone to just like scream at them. F your inner bitch. Like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like yeah, just... yeah, 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 yeah. Some people need that. Some people need that. But then you reach a place of refinement where, like, okay, and um, with regards to like, I'm gonna run even though my knees are bust. Like, people should check out Roddy Coleman right now. Ronnie Coleman was probably arguably the greatest, greatest um, bodybuilder that ever lived, M more than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger was like the pioneer, if you want to call it that. Uh, but Ronnie Coleman, like he just, he broke all records. He like won Mr. Olympia, I don't even know how many times. And if you look at where Ronnie Coleman is now, it's like, was it really worth it? Was it really worth it? The guy can't walk. He's like he's he's like confined to a bed, and he's really like broken. Um, so that's just um, on that point. And I agree with the Rambam that um, okay, I agree with the Rambam. Katonti. Yeah, um, of course. Um, pain will come your way. Suffering will come your way because that's just that's that's just that's just life. I will say this: that a person should not be scared to get uncomfortable. 
a person should have an openness to discomfort within reason. And this is this is key, okay? Because a person, a person would when a person grows, their propensities for modalities change. Okay. So most people that were addicts at some point and then changed their lives and then became big successes, if you go and ask them, would you prefer your life without the addiction and without all of that dark, dark space? And 100% of them say no. 100% of them say no, it created who I am now. Would they do it now? No ways. No ways. So, so is cold therapy good or hot therapy good? It really is about what serves you now. You know, so I, um, I want to make a big point here that I personally don't believe in good or bad. There was a time once where I look at someone and say, this is good. I look at something and I'd say, this is bad. But I've been working with, with, with humans on a level of, uh, of breakthrough and, uh, and uh, potential uh, liberation. And really, really, really like uh, you want to call it the highest, the deepest level of healing. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, for many years. Um, and I've come to see like explicitly both with other people and with myself that an, an uncomfortable situation is not bad. Even an addiction is not, it, it, it's, it's not good or bad. There is only what serves me now in my life and what no longer serves me. You know? So if right now a person comes across cold therapy and they want to do ice baths, and it works for them, and it stimulates their body, then that's great. That's great. Go with what works for you. Go with what puts you in a state of flow. Go with what inspires you. Don't think that it's going to carry on inspiring you for the rest of your life. And like, if it does, great. I hope everybody finds a modality that keeps them inspired for the rest of their life. I really, really do. It's just, it's not really how things work. The only thing that I can say that a person can do and do for the rest of their life is when they truly find their purpose, the purpose for which they were created, that is connected to their childhood wounding, that takes away the, the ability to be bored. Like when I'm, I'm just going to show on my wall, this, these are diagrams for my coaching philosophy. Mm -hmm. And when I teach these diagrams, they're all on YouTube and they're on my website, they're on my website called the breakthroughmatrix.com. When I, for a free download, when I teach these principles and these and these uh, and these um, these uh, diagrams and the laws and their derivatives and how they and how they connect to 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 uh, to the human mind, I get lit up, and I've been doing it for years. And there was there was a time where I would do it three or four times a day, and the last person got as much passion from me as the first person because there is something about when I teach these things that just I get lit up like a very powerful light. <laughs> I don't want to say what type of tree. I don't do that anymore, but <laughs> but uh, I don't use that language anymore. But I I really it 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 lights me up like a light. I feel electrified, and I feel like this is what I'm here to do. And I know that because I don't ever get bored. I've taught these principles hundreds, if not thousands, of times, and I've found what I'm here to do. It's not, and I'm not just that I'm teaching about positive and negative. I'm teaching about how it connects to human manifestation and human potential and breakthrough and fulfillment and coming out of basically coming out from one level to a next level. So to answer your question in a bottom line, a person needs to do whatever it is that they need to do 
right now in their life in order to be inspired and to be in flow and to create the results they want to move them into action because nothing's going to happen without action. And if you're in a place where you cannot act and you're in a blockage, then you got to find what works for you. And and when it's time when it's time for for a person to come out of a contraction because I happen to believe that contractions are a soul thing. So just like the archer puts the right amount of negative force into a bow in order for it to fly towards the arrow that's a certain distance away, he's he's going to put the right amount of negative for the right amount of distance. So if there's a there's a 50 meter target, he's going to put at least 50 meters worth into that target of, of negative. And if there's one that's 200 meters away, the the 50 meter target and the 200 meter target, they're not going to get the same amount of negative force. Right? It's going to be a different amount. And the negative force for a human being in the contraction is pain. So whenever you're going through pain, I believe, and Kabbalah backs me up on this, that it's, this, is, this is a soul thing. And that you go through the amount of pain that you have to go through to propel you to your next level. I'm just going to show a slide here that I call the human lifetime. The human lifetime. And this is basically about contractions and expansion and this is and this is life this is life you cannot expand without a contraction and that that contraction means pain and when there's enough pain then you will come out of the contraction into the expansion either by finding the right modality or or the right teacher that comes into your life and not before that but when the when when the amount of negative force or contractional pain is enough to propel you to your next station it will end and it will not be one second longer. This is from my experience.